the College Planning Edge. Multiply your odds of getting into your dream college and get your hands on thousands of dollars of fat, juicy scholarships. Brought to you by Lockwood College Prep, helping college-bound families get the edge in college admissions, financial aid, scholarships, and test prep. This is an interview that I did with my old friend from 7th grade and current NCAA broadcaster and Big Ten Network broadcaster, Andy Katz, where we talked about college sports, specifically what in the wide, wide world of sports uh, recruited athletes need to be thinking about right now in terms of what's happening. But it's also some good information if you're just a regular sports fan. So sit back, enjoy, and uh, let me know what you think about this episode. You can give us a rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, or shoot me an email, vip at lockwoodcollegeprep.com, if you have any questions or comments. Okay, special edition of College Coffee and COVID Talk. This is where we talk about all things college, getting into college, paying for college, and this, this episode is a little different. Got my celebrity friend slash guest host, Mr. Andy Katz, who's going to be talking about college sports because he has extensive background in college sports. So, Andy, welcome. Can you hear me? I can hear you great, Andy. And and also, I'm as you are, a parent of, um, and you already have one in college, but a daughter who is going to college. So I've got an opinion on, on that as well as what a lot of these schools are doing is that been inundated with uh, what schools are doing uh, in terms of welcoming students back and and what the school that my daughter is attending, Northwestern, is planning on. So I've got opinions on both sides, the college side and the regular student population side. <laughs> lots, lots of opinions. So if you're just uh, joining us, our guest is Andy Katz, who's a college basketball correspondent reporter for the NCAA, right, and Big Ten Network college basketball analyst. And Fox Sports and Turner Sports. So you got to give all four. Uh, so you get all four entities, um, and uh, you know, I mean, you got to give the full resume. Okay. Years at ESPN, the last three with Turner, NCAA, Fox, and Big Ten. Yes, and um, recipient of the, uh, I believe, the uh, Gary Samantelli Award for Local Broadcast Journalism back in 1986. Is that right? Well, yeah, actually. Uh, I just I was with my uh, cousins who now go to Cambridge Ridge in Latin, and I reminded them that uh, after I was abruptly cut in December of 85 from the boys' basketball team in Newton South, even though Joe Killalay still claims me as one of his most famous alumni from the team. Um, okay. You know, uh, one of the first broadcasts that I did when I went to Newton Cable was your game, so your listeners should know, it was Newton North, versus Cambridge Ridge and Latin with Ramil Robinson. I don't know if he's still in jail, but uh, with Ramil Robinson um, for Cambridge Ridge and Latin, who then three years later would go on to win the national championship for Michigan in 1989. So that was one of, and if I'm not mistaken, it was either you or Jimmy Gittin, uh, co-owner of Rothman's in New York, fine men's clothing store. Um, uh, one of you wore your shorts on your head as a bit of a prank um, you know, while I was doing the game. Yeah, that would be not Jimmy. <laughs> um, so, so, all right. So let me just uh, say hi to Melissa and Christina Bono and Ann Panopoulos. And 
Melissa, Paul, Bobby. All right, Bobby's got a student athlete, Villanova. I know that lacrosse player. So, so what's going on with? Uh, I, know, I know there's been like a bunch of announcements: the Ivy League, the NESCACs, the probably every other conference. Like, what? Give me the lay of the land. Like, what are you hearing that the regular people like us just don't know about what's going on in college sports and coronavirus? All right. So um, uh, I've been doing this every week, literally for 17 weeks. That's how crazy it's been going on since everything shut down on March 11th. I was in Indianapolis at the Big Ten tournament when our world's all shut down. <clears throat> um, and since then, every week we've been doing this NCAA social series where I've been interviewing um, the chief medical officer, Brian Hainline, uh, along with other stakeholders in college athletics, doctors, athletic directors, uh, student athletes, um, all levels of division one, two, and three. And so <clears throat> I've been hearing it all and it has changed dramatically. And this last week, uh, we did their whole story on their, re they call it the re-socialization of sport. And the NCAA put out this pretty telling graphic of where they thought we would be as a country um, by this time in July and where we are. And a lot of their planning back in April and May was based on where they thought we would be. And you can see the chart and I'll direct you know, it's, it's on all the social media platforms of NCAA.com and Twitter and all that. And you see the line of like Europe and Canada down below and where the US they thought they would be, but yet we're way up here. And uh, that obviously has dramatically altered the plans. Um, the couple things I want to, and there's plenty of ways to peel this back. Uh, and I can address obviously what the plans are, sports specifically as well. Uh, I will tell you that in March, the Ivy League actually was the first league to cancel its conference tournament. And I remember specifically Steve Donahue from Penn you know, it was texting me like, this is, a, this is an atrocity. How could they not allow these, you know, these players to play in the conference tournament? Because in that moment in time, everyone thought at least uh, we were going to have the NCAA tournament with no fans. And the Ivy had basically just pulled themselves out. Well, of course, the Ivy in that instance was the, you know, the one that was out in front and ultimately was the right decision. In this instance, with the Ivy League canceling football, it's a different animal. Because in the NESCAC and the Ivy, Patriot League and the Colonial, all these leagues that have canceled football or their fall sports, they don't make money off of that. Um, football and the Power Five is the breadwinner uh, for college athletics. The NCAA tournament funds the majority of sports with its billion-dollar contract, obviously, with CBS and Turner. Um, but on a college campus... The amount of money that college football brings in on the Power Five, that's what drives the dollars. And so I firmly believe that it's all going to come down to the SEC. Um, if the SEC decides they're still going to play college football this fall, and <clears throat> I think your listeners know or your viewers know that, you know, the SEC are all those southern states, big state schools down in the south, Alabama, Auburn. Uh, and schools like that, um, if they play, I'm convinced the other four leagues that consist of the Power Five, which are the Big Ten, the ACC, the Big 12, and the Pac-12, I think they'll play. 
because there's so much competition and they don't want the SEC to have this marketplace by themselves. If the SEC decides in the next couple of weeks not to play, then I don't think we're having any college football. I don't see a scenario, even though the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have already announced conference-only games, I can't see them playing in the fall if the SEC does not. Um, the conference-only decision by those leagues was made because they want to control what they can control. And they're, they're having their protocols, which they can get into in terms of testing mm. uh, and tracing and all that. Um, and they don't trust, you know, if you're UCLA and you've got a game in a non-conference, regardless of sport against Montana out of the big sky, you know, you're not trusting what they're doing with their athletes. So within the Pac-12 footprint, everyone's got to adhere to the same protocols. And if there is an outbreak where a team has to – postpone a game, you at least have your own schedule of teams where you can move games and it's your own league that you can deal with this. Hmm. So that's why they made that decision. And they're going to go down to the 11th hour, 11.59, before they have to cancel it because there's so much money at stake for these universities. It's very similar to what I know uh, you know all about because when all those presidents were making those announcements back in late April, before that May 1st, tuition deadline, which I, of course, knew about, you know, because of my daughter, um, that was because they want the money. And so they were, they were, oh, we're going to have school, we're going to have school, we're going to have school. And then after things have changed, now it's online, da, 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 you know, because they wanted everyone to commit. So uh, that was clearly stated. I mean, it was pretty obvious. Um, so the last thing, and then we'll get to a lot of different topics here, but in terms of the NESCAC and those other ones that are they're moving their sports, either canceling or moving them to the spring, um, you know, they're doing that because they can, because they can exist in their own little bubble, for lack of a better term, that they don't make a lot of money. They can compete within their own league and they can kind of make it work in the spring. Wait, wait and see if they actually can make it work, you know, in the spring, if we can have those kind of sports and even if they can make it work scheduling wise on a particular campuses. So, so when is the 1159 deadline? What date? So I, I think it's, Drop dead, I would say August fifteenth. Is that um, is that just just a guess, or they, do they not actually have a date that they, they... have an actual date? Um, because the reason they don't have a, a hard date yet, uh, well, you've got two things going at it. On one side, they said that uh, for football, and that's obviously the main thing here, that you've got to have six weeks of preseason, right. and that's because at the same time you're worried about coronavirus. Keep in mind, none of these athletes, or very few, have been working out at the level they're normally working out at. So um, there's a lot of fear that there will be all these muscular skeletal injuries, you know, let alone a pulled hamstring, if you ramp it up and, you know, suddenly you're playing in two weeks. And so they, they basically, the football oversight committee says, you have to have six weeks because you got to build up to hitting each other and get your bodies ready for actually the physicality of major college football. So um, with that being said, if you go to conference only, which you know two of these leagues already have done, you can get away with conference only beginning October 1st. And so if you begin October 1st and still squeeze it in uh, in the fall, you would need six weeks in front of that, which would be in the whole month of September and the last two weeks of August. So that's why based on that timeline, um, it's around August 15th that they would need to make a final decision on whether or not it happens. Okay. 
So, so I want to talk a little bit about, about the uh, like the trickle down effect. So, I you know I read um, I guess a few days ago Stanford uh, canceled you know, and they have a huge endowment and they have I guess literally the best NCAA sports program in the country. They canceled eleven sports like this was it permanently? Yeah. So this is interesting because first of all, um, Stanford excels at the highest level. They win the College Cup all the time, which is sort of a point system of all the sports. And I think they had 36, which is a, a lot to carry. The NCAA only says you have to have 16. Um, so 36 is a ton. Now, they got rid of, for the record, for the most part, kind of a lot of the highbrow sports, fencing, uh, squash. Um, and think about men's and women's squash, that's two. Um, you know, so if you have men's and women's fencing, that's two. So that's four right there. And you know, some of their sports aren't as big on the West Coast. Um, you know, that so for them to have, I mean, for example, here on the East Coast, like Brown got rid of their skiing program, and there are no mountains in Rhode Island, you know. So, like, you know, Brown had to actually travel up to Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine to ski. So, as, as alarming as it sounded for Brown, which had, I think, around 36 as well, you know, that's a sport that you can see getting cut. Um, the well, yeah, uh, swimming at Dartmouth was one. I mean, that's yeah. And 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 look, men's tennis has gotten whacked at the highest clip of any of them. And part of that is a problem in that a lot of American tennis programs take a lot of foreign kids, and they do that because they want to win, and the foreign players are better. And ads look at that and say, okay, if I need to get rid of a program, hey, there's no Americans on this. You know, even though. Uh, a lot of the international kids are full pay. So that doesn't make as much sense. But anyway, I will say this about the endowment, something I'm learning about, and you hear this all the time, is that, oh, how can these schools do this? They've got all this money. Um, but a lot of these endowments are earmarked. Right. And from what I understand, I mean, you would know this, uh, that um, even though Stanford may have whatever, $30 billion, whatever the number is, they can't necessarily say, hey, let's just pull money out of there to save the fencing program. Right. Uh, and then the other thing that happens is, and I've had ADs tell me this, is even though you'll have to do these fundraisers, um, you know, to, to, to recover the baseball program, it's not, and let's say they say, well, we need a million dollars to run the baseball program. It's not just a million dollars total. It's a million dollars every year. Right. And, you know, so that's the other problem when you see these GoFundMes to save these programs. It has to be every year, and 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 really, the majority of athletics lose money. Right. Um, you know, really, only men's uh, well, obviously, college football at the high level, not at the lower level, uh, and men's basketball, and and in women's basketball, it's literally only a handful of programs: UConn, Tennessee, <clears throat> maybe Baylor, um, that actually make money. Um, you know, the rest of them don't. Is that just because it, it costs so much in salaries, or what? Are, what are the big budget items you know to run your typical athletic program that's not you know not like University of Alabama or something? Yeah, so salaries have gone up exponentially. Um, you know, a lot of these jobs are now six-figure jobs that they weren't years before. Um, the way they travel, which by the way, um, one of the uh, things as it relates to COVID, I think is here to stay will become the regionalization of what we call the Olympic sports, the non-revenue sports. For example, um, 
you know, Temple is in the American Conference, which is spread out all over, you know, the country from the Mississippi East, in Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Florida. Uh, there's no reason that Temple's soccer team should be playing at SMU. Zero. Um, but, you know, football, it's once a week, six games on the road. You know, basketball, you can make it work. It's eight games on the road or whatever it is, eight or nine. But in those other sports, flying all over the place, I think that's gone. I think we're, we're entering an era where we will see regionalization of those sports. And I know it's a problem on the West Coast because there aren't as many schools. But we're already seeing, even in the high-profile sports of men's basketball, I mean, I saw like Georgia Tech signed a three-year deal to play Georgia State. Now, normally, they're in the city of Atlanta. They're literally separated by like two miles. But Georgia Tech would look down on Georgia State, Georgia State and say, well, we're not going to play Georgia State. Well, they signed a two-for-one where they're actually going to play in Georgia State's gym. Why? Because they can get in their car and drive over there. They don't have to stay in a hotel. Um, so those kind of cost-containing things will happen. So you've got salaries. You've got travel. Um, you have uh, the scholarships, obviously. Um, you know, those, all those athletes, uh, the amenities – while, they're not, while they may not be equal in terms of, um, uh, you know, potential, um, what they call it, uh, 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 where you get cost of attendance um, in, the, in the high profile sports where you can, you get this stipend that is based on the tuition and, you know, players can get in those high profile sports a couple grand uh, in addition. Um, they may not get that aspect, but they'll get the same food, they'll get training, the same medical care, all that stuff that is part of the athletic department, all those athletes get. And there's a cost to that. And there's a cost to the scholarships. And so all that, you know, um, you know, that adds up. So you know a lot of coaches uh we we have a, a few in our little community here like what what are they doing all day because they can't get out and recruit and even if they could get out they're not uh there's no games to watch and for, for many athletes so how how are they and then there's, then there's the uncertainty of like the extra year about eligibility at some sports and all that so so what are they doing all day and how are they how are they handling the whole recruiting aspect so there's another positive that I think is here to stay that I've had a number of coaches tell me and um, are the Zoom visits uh, because this is another cost containment that was so much wasted money at the high level. But even, you know, I think in some of the other sports is think about it. A lot of these coaches either charter, which costs money if you fire up the university plane or commercial would fly for a recruiting visit, you know, spend all that money. It's a whole day away to walk into someone's home for an hour. And I get there's obviously there's a plus in, you know, having that coach sitting in your couch and, you know, and, and sitting with you and all that. But it's a huge cost. And it's just you. Okay, maybe it's another assistant. Um, what they've told me is what they love on both sides is you can have a Zoom where it's your entire staff. You could have the academic advisor. You could have your strength coach. You could have, you know, um, someone from a dean or whatever, you know, other academic person all on there with the player's family, maybe their AU coach, um, 
another relative, and you all can be there, and you all can talk. And I mean, I like Mark Turgeon from Maryland said he did three, uh, and he talked in on the West Coast, locally, and in Europe, and he didn't leave his house. And you know, so I mean, like think of how much money was saved, and his whole staff chimed in. So I think that's here to stay. Um, now, valuation is a whole other issue. Yeah. The class of 21, it's going to be really interesting what happens because this whole summer has been wiped out. There's been no recruiting this summer. And, you know, I question whether there's going to be any in the fall uh, because right now, obviously, everything's limited. You've got all these states where, you know, where we are in the Northeast. If you come from some of these other states, you got to quarantine. Uh, so a lot of these don't want to go to, Florida or Nevada to recruit because then they'd have to come back to quarantine. Um, so you got that issue. Uh, so I question whether or not that's going to happen. And uh, so there's probably going to be a lot of mistakes, you know, to be honest, yeah. the transferring. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't, I, I'm glad I don't have a recruitable athlete in my house in the class of 21 because I think it'd be really difficult to manage that. Um, you know, one thing I mentioned before that I wanted to get to that's interesting, I don't you know, when you say you have coaches out there, um, from our call the other day, uh, and once again, this is a big cost with COVID, is for some of these sports, um, for if they start practicing, a couple just very quick items here. So for football, if it happens, uh, their recommendation is, and this would be all down the line, actually, if there even is high school football that you have your first string and your third string practice, your second string and your fourth string practice, and never the two meet. So if there is an outbreak, you still can put a team on the field. Interesting. You don't have your whole positions meet in a small room. If your positions, you know, all your quarterbacks want to meet, you do it in a wide open space. Right. So that they're way far apart. Um, that they're going to have um, every helmet has to have uh, a full shield. Uh, that they're retrofitting, um, and a lot of them are going to have to play with gaiters on. And then the rule is on the sideline, everyone has to be masked. Officials would have electronic whistles, so you're not blowing into the whistle and having spit. Uh, field hockey, soccer um, would all have to play with gaiters on, which I think they were doing in like the Bundesliga in Germany, because every time you come to the sideline, you have to pull it up. Um, and the the other one, I, I'll be really interesting to see the one fall sport that's inside, you know, is volleyball. And they were saying that no touching. And if you've ever watched volleyball, they high five after every single point, <laughs> you know, and the double high five. And so they're like, nope, cannot do any of that. Uh, so we'll see if that could even play out, um, you know, in, in terms of whether or not they're able to accomplish any of that. But those were sort of the, some of the guidelines yeah. that were being put forth. What, what about the, um, the testing and the contact tracing and, and all that? Because I know the NFL was talking about some sort of electronic contact tracing. So, once again, this is going to be a have and have nots. Um, the recommendation is to test 72 hours before competition. The problem there, of course, is, as we're seeing across the country, is, okay, if you go through the normal channels, you're not getting it back in 72 hours. At least that's what we're seeing now. So that means you got to do like what the NBA is doing, which is you got to buy it. And these universities, I think, that have the money will do that. And they will have their own sort of testing capabilities. And that gets back, or the conferences will, as I mentioned, 
that are staying within their own conference bubble. And so they're going to say, look, we're going to test like this 72 hours before competition, and we're going to pay for it uh, to make sure that it gets back. Um, and, and, you know, at, you know, schools and low-level leagues, you know, you, you look at the Northeast, you know, a Stony Brook, um, you know, uh, Binghamton, can they afford that? Can the America East afford that? Can St. Francis of PA afford that? I'd say probably not. Uh, so well, it's, it's like hundreds of thousands, if not over a million dollars to, to do these properly, right? Right. And then get in the sanitation thing. So when you're working out, um, and it's happening now with workouts on these college campuses, one group comes in, they leave. And there's like a gap of whatever it is, 20, 30 minutes, and a crew comes in and they clean everything. Yeah. And all that costs money. And, um, you know, they've retrofitted, you know, uh, whether it's fiberglass or various things that they've done for separation uh, before they get actually into contact, you know, all that costs money. Um, and, and uh, you know, the, the, the schools that can afford it are going to do it. And those that can't, uh, I, I think that's going to be a big question of whether or not they can, can play during at least certainly the fall, if not the entire 2021. Hmm. All right. Well, so uh, if you're just joining us, celebrity guest host filling in for Pearl Lockwood, who's on special assignment at her dentist, uh, Andy Katz, sports writer, journalist, NCAA.com, what, Big Ten, and then you throw out some other networks too. Very oh, so let me throw this at you off the sports side. Yeah. As a parent. Um, so my daughter's going to Northwestern in the fall. Yeah. And uh, I just want to add this in before we get to the question here from Andrea or Andrea. Um, uh, so I like what Northwestern's doing. Now, once again, private school. Um, they're going to test everyone upon arrival. Uh, you have the option to have a roommate or not. And, um, you know, classes that can be in person will be. If not, uh, it'll be obviously online, but they're trying everything in their power. They're gonna still have their Wildcat Welcome Week, not with any parents that was strapped, but they're just gonna do their thing with masks. Um, and so, you know, they're really trying to make it all work. And I love that they're making an attempt. I will say this, you know, my dad, Andy, you know, uh, uh, grew up with, you know, grew up with the, you know, that um, longtime professor at Boston College Law School. Stanford. Yes. Stanford Cats. Uh, so he retired about five years ago at 81. He's 86 now. And, um, you know, he was telling me, and he's on this, even though he's clearly high risk, you know, he's had heart problems and all that, um, he's adamant that he said, put a piece of fiberglass in front of me, have the students wear masks, I'm in the classroom. And he's totally against zooming everything. Actually, and here's someone who's been in the university system his entire adult life, longer than anyone I know. And, you know, he he can't stand that he's got some peers still in the business that don't want to come in yeah. and would rather sit at home. Yep. And yet these schools are still charging the same price, uh, as you know, for that education that may be exclusively online. And uh, yet they want you to come in and live in the dorms or live in there and spend that money. And he's totally against it. Yep. And what well, one last thing that we said, and I oh, you froze on me. Andy, Am Katz. I back? 
Yeah, you're back now. Just the he's in um, Island right now, so the internet's not as good there. So, um, uh, my question to these professors are: Do you go to the grocery store? Right. Do you get food delivered? Do you have Amazon delivered? How can all those frontline workers right. expose and go out and actually yep. do their job? And you cannot, when you are actually at an institution that will protect you, yeah. will put a piece of fiberglass in front of you, right. and the students will wear masks, and you could actually have them, you know, not in the first four rows. Yeah. It can be done. Sure. Yeah, it's a lot of tension. A lot of tension between the tenured professors and, and the administration. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, my dad is totally on the side of I would be in the classroom, if and he's 86, and he said I'd still be in the classroom. All right. Well, let's get to some questions here. Uh, questions about NCAA sports, recruiting, you name it. And this one's from uh, Andrea Fusco. We're looking at D3 schools for lax, and they're talking about eight girls. They're taking about eight girls for recruiting when they would normally take 12. And if they want you to get in, walk on. Do you, do you see that as being a trend? Yes. Um, it, it's going to be incredibly competitive um, for these spots because of budget cuts. And, you know, uh, at the D3 level, you know, the good thing with lacrosse, hopefully, that'll still happen in the spring, we hope. Um, but, yes, I, you know, I, I do think this is going to be a trend where the numbers will come down in a lot of these sports, um, you know, from 12 to 8 in that instance. Uh, you know, I think we're going to see reduced roster sizes in all of these. Now, on the flip side, at the professional level, I actually think we're going to see an increase in numbers in case someone tests positive to be able to, you know, recover from that and still play. So it's going to, it's going to be actually completely opposite. I think professionally, you're going to increase the roster size over this next year. Um, but on the, on the uh, collegiate side, I think they will reduce it. Hmm. All right. Um, question from Donald Santry, if I'm pronouncing that reasonably correctly, Dartmouth, said that no matter how much money was raised, they wouldn't bring back the teams it cut because they decided to cut their recruiting by 10% overall to make more slots available for non-athletes. I'm just paraphrasing. Do you think this is a trend? Cassie. Uh, so first of all, the Ivies, I think, are on their own island in this because, as I said at the beginning, they have consistently had, you could argue, two points. Um, at the at the varsity level, I should say, you can have as many as you club level, and they were carrying over thirty sports, and that's the thing I think with Brown, uh, like that that decision was made before the pandemic about they were going to, you know, because um, they've been working on this for a long time. Now they didn't tell anybody, uh, and those athletes were still coming and being recruited yeah. to come to Brown uh, for those particular sports. And it caught everyone off guard, but that had been, you know, in the plans prior to that. So, um, yeah, I think that these institutions at that level in the Ivies have made that decision that um, that they're not going to, to to offer as many opportunities. Interesting. Wonder how much of that was in response to the scandal last year with the fake recruiting and I think it did. And the lawsuit from the Asian American kid who didn't get into Harvard, and the, and they revealed, you know, exactly how many spots they allocated to athletes and legacies and all that. I think that was part of a tripwire too. 
Yeah, because I mean, in that USC case with Lori Lachlan's, I think that was the one with her daughter, you know, never even been on a boat, let alone, you know, could, you know, row. And suddenly she was getting, uh, you know, a crew related uh, scholarship or at least uh, space on the team. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, I think that's a direct result of that. Do you know offhand if Stanford cut their sailing program? Because that was another one of those um, scandal sports. I'm trying to remember. I think that might have been one of them. Yeah, I think they had to have. Um, all right, question from Mr. Pollack. Uh, okay, so so this was a question. You made a comment about endowments being um, earmarked. Uh, most of all capital improvement campaigns have separate funding initiatives. So what are they saving endowments for? Um, well, yeah, I think yeah. a bit, but you, you, yeah, go ahead. You can take a step. Yeah, good question, Bobby, and 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 uh, I see that all the time on Twitter when things are getting cut. You know, oh, they've got all this money. Um, but in this webinar that we had with the Northwestern uh, president, Morty Shapiro, he referenced that that you know we can't just use it for X if it is given for something else. And so, um, you know, like you'll see, for example, at a lot of those schools, whether it's Harvard. Uh, and I'm going to talk basketball-wise here, but Harvard, um, Northwestern does this, uh, where the coaching position has been endowed. Um, so it'll say, like, some long name, you know, blah, 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 Northwestern head coach Chris Collins uh, or athletic director. So those those positions have been endowed. Yeah. Um, and that's an example where that specific has been earmarked to pay that salary um, and not be taken from that pool right. to save the fencing program. Yeah, a, a lot of um, endowments are earmarked for non-athletic purposes too, such as um, you know someone endowing a, a seat for or a, uh, or a certain amount of money for climate research, climate change research, whatever. And, and sometimes these endowments work where um, they are general in nature, but first, after the priorities are taken care of, those have to be you know, address first before that triggers access to the rest of the fund. So there's a lot of strings attached, you know, and, and, and frankly, um, the people who are donating the money, they, they, they should get a say, right? And, right. Uh, and how they want you know, to. It's funny, with the, I'm looking at the, the penance behind you, and I just want to add this opinion in there too, that, that uh, and like I said, I'm very fortunate right now that my daughter's not in this position since she's not going to one of these schools, but we have a lot of friends who are going to those NESCAC schools and Ivies, and I see Yale over your shoulder, and what I think has been really unfair to a lot of these students, and I'm sure you have clients like this, that think, so many things have been determined for second semester, which I think is grossly unfair, um, because we don't know. No one knows what's going to happen between now and January and February. And to make a determination that, uh, so my daughter has a friend going to Carnegie Mellon, and you know, so she's going to go literally for, and, and another one going to Princeton, and you know, they're basically going to go for two and a half months and that's it. And they'll see you next August. And um, they've already made this decision. They are, uh, they know they're not coming back for sure. Are they Okay. Well, I mean, now maybe things can change, but they didn't say that. They're yeah. like freshmen and some other people that have to be on campus in the fall. And then in the spring, they're saving it for seniors because it's their senior year. Right. Uh, but no freshmen. And it's so transparent. They're hooking the freshmen to get them in. They're throwing the bone to the seniors as they leave. Right. So really, the sophomores and juniors really get hosed in this scenario yeah. uh, because they're in the middle and they're kind of stuck because it's not like you can go travel the globe. We've been banned around, you know, we can't go anywhere. 
So right. you can't even, you know, the gap year scenario is sort of wasted. Uh, there aren't a lot of jobs. So they really, I, I, I really think, you know, have really done a disservice to sophomores and juniors in a lot of these schools. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what the answer is, though, on the other hand. I mean, I, they have to, you know, whatever they, I feel like whatever they come up with, it's just not going to be great, you know, overall and for many people. So, um, but I don't like the idea of sending everyone back to school in the middle of cold and flu season either, you know, in, in January. So it'll be interesting to see what changes. Um, all right. Question from Ann uh, Panopoulos. If D3 is recruiting fewer players, they ask you more to walk on. Does that mean the walk-ons don't get scholarships? Uh, well, no one gets scholarships in D3. Yeah, D3 does not offer scholarships. But they do have academic scholarships. So that's really where right. a lot of the money is in D3. And uh, I, th I think there has to be a smaller pie all around to, to yeah. go next year overall, everywhere, D3, D1, you name it. Yeah, and, and the way in which D3 athletics, you still have to get in academically, but if you are – an athlete at that level, that's an avenue to get in. Um, you know, so if you are the basketball coach, you know, at Amherst, uh, I mean, look, Amherst oh, women's basketball, uh, just to give an example, Amherst women's basketball has been as dominant in the D3 level as UConn in D1. Now, Amherst women's basketball is not just getting like random students you know, who are good students, oh, hey, do you also play basketball? No, <laughs> they play basketball, they're really good, and that's how they're getting into Amherst. They may not be getting money, but that's how they're getting in to Amherst. So, is there, uh, is there some reason you didn't mention Little Free Rival Wesleyan University? Uh, I don't, you know, I didn't because uh, I don't know their history on the women's side. Uh, I know that uh, in 86, 87, uh, one of their best freshman eras career was derailed early, um, and there, it's a big regret that the that the Cardinals have. Dark. It was dark period. Um, <laughs> it se it seems like um, at some of these schools, like Williams, like, like. By the way, are you as big a donor as Lin Manuel? <laughs> We're close. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Bill and Belichick. Don't forget. The oh. Big, okay. The big three. Isn't his daughter the lacrosse coach there? I don't know if she still is. She oh, was. She was. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, it seems like at Williams, they're you know the sixty percent or something are, are playing a sport, you know, and and it does it does certainly help you get in. I mean, I can personally attest to, to you know to that. But um, the, most of the NESCACs do not give merit aid. Uh, a handful do, like Connecticut College and Trinity, but most of them don't. But overall. The, mon the real money is going to be in, in, by the way, maybe for Division One because even a fully funded Division One baseball program might have 35 athletes but 11 scholarships or something. So the real, the real money in, in college sports for, for the regular athletes is generally not a full-ride scholarship. It's, it's other sources of funds on the merit or the need-based side. Yeah, you know, and another thing, Andy, I'll be interesting to see its effects in your line of work is in the next year or two, uh, if there are fewer international students, right? And, you know, my son goes to a private high school, and you know, international students are all full pay. And uh, if there are fewer of them, does that mean that domestically they give fewer financial aid because they're going to need more full pay? You know what I mean? Like, is there a cause and effect of having fewer international play, uh, students? Yeah, uh, coming here. 
uh, you know, on one hand, um, that might make it a little bit easier for non-international students to get in to, to college. Um, on the other hand, you know, they, they, colleges covet international students because of what you said. They're mostly full pay. However, um, th there's a lot of schools that give money to international students. So I actually have a few uh, international students who are getting really nice scholarships from usually yeah. the, the smaller schools like um, Dickinson, for, for example. But yeah, I, th I think overall it's just going to be a, a mad scramble. I think there's going to be fewer dollars to go around. But I also think on the on the optimistic side that there's going to be a lot of bargaining and haggling um, available. And this this past year was crazy with the amount of uh, negotiating success we had because colleges are scrambling to fill seats. It's it's worth it to give a fifteen twenty thousand dollars scholarship um, if they know that that's going to lock someone in in, in many cases. So it's going to be a big mess, though. All right. Well, well, one thing I just want to get back to that yeah. we mentioned, I forgot the, the the fall sports that are getting canceled. Yeah. Um, everyone so far has said that their scholarships, A, will be honored, and B, their eligibility will be preserved. Now, that is something that the Ivies, uh, that is, you know, the Ivies do their own thing, as I said. And I don't want to be trashing on the Ivies. Obviously, they're eight great institutions. But some of the athletic things they do are incredibly archaic. And one of them is that they don't allow you to redshirt. And so if you get hurt, um, you have to actually literally leave school and then come back. Because you cannot be on campus for more than four to what would be eight semesters, um, you know, over four years. Uh, so Wait, so, so I didn't know that. So, so then, if, but if you are, then you just lose a year of eligibility? Yes, if you want to preserve that year of eligibility, you have to leave. Um, <laughs> Didn't know. You know, whereas every other institution, you have five years to play four, uh, unless you get you know a medical exemption, a six year. But majority, it's you have five calendar years to play four seasons. In the Ivy, you only have four seasons, and so if you get hurt, you literally have to leave and then come back. And you know that's one thing that that. Um, I don't know if it's official yet, but you know the word is that they're gonna they're, they're gonna relax that at least because they just canceled you know their entire fall. Now they weren't in the spring they didn't do that because the season started. Okay, now um, even though it all happened in March, a lot of those sports start before that, um, and because they already started, the Ivies did not honor that um, and did not you know. Uh, you know, so if a, a lacrosse player wants to come back to Yale, they lost their year. Uh, whereas other schools are, for the most part, saying, hey, your season got cut short. It only lasted three weeks. We're going to preserve that eligibility for you. Hmm. What, do you. What do you think the effects on the extra year of eligibility that other schools are talking about? Well, actually, what, what is, is there a blanket rule on the for the non-Ivies on the extra year of eligibility and the second part no, of that? up to every institution. The NCAA gave a blanket waiver. So okay. now it's up to the institution because there's a cost. And uh, like Wisconsin, Alvarez flat out said no. Um, you know, thanks for playing and we'll see you uh, if you were a senior. Um, so what does know, that mean for recruits? That, that was my second part of the question. Well, well, so that's a problem because we're going to get a backlog. And so for recruits out there, um, like so, for example, uh, I'm drawing a blank on her name. One of the best players in the country in women's tennis. She's from Spain. She goes to Miami. And she could have been a pro, but 
but she announced right early on that she's going to go back to Miami for her what would have been her second senior season. Um, so if you're a Miami tennis player and you're coming in thinking, oh, there's you know this spot, this spot for the spring of 21, uh, now they're not there. And so that, I think, affected and will affect some of that recruiting for this class coming in because there's just not going to be as many spots for the seniors that were allowed to come back for a second senior season because it was cut short. Hmm. All right, yeah, the cost thing is very interesting. I didn't even think about that. All right, question from Donnell Santry for for D3 NESCACs, which is, of course, the New England Small College Athletic Conference. Coaches, uh, we've heard coaches can't guarantee spots, yet there are pre-reads. We see some 2021 recruits already announcing commitments that the coaches pull vary by sport within the school. How often does a student not get accepted to a NESCAC after passing the pre-read and getting the coach's full support? All right, help me out. Uh, what does the pre-read mean? I don't. I didn't know that. So, um, so this is what's happening a lot now this time of year, where a coach is recruiting an athlete and says, um, "Give me um, fill this questionnaire, and that'll have information like basically their entire academic career, as well as some um, some uh, extracurricular stuff. So it's grades, it's any scores." SAT or ACT if known, et cetera. Um, and then they they usually run that by either admissions directly or there's an athletic liaison who runs it by admissions. And then they'll usually come back with, okay, um, that's, you know, I, th I think that's pretty good. So I have a client right now who's being recruited for lacrosse by Swarthmore. And, um, you know, he's got like 800s on most of his tests that he's taken so far. And you know, he's, got a, he's a great student and all that. So he's basically, um, you know, Smart Smartphone is one of these schools where you have to be really a super good student to get in there. Even if you're an athlete, it's different at some other schools. Um, but they're we're waiting to hear back that everything looks good and he's going to be able to commit. Uh, it's unusual after that happens for um, for a a, a a college program to say we're no longer going to uh, honor that that commitment. But there's nothing in writing. It's a, it's a verbal thing. But things change, you know, budget could cut, uh, coaches leave. So sometimes there is a, a scramble. At, at the yeah, end. technically scholarships are only one year renewable. Yeah. And uh, I think people forget that. And yeah. so, uh, you know, that's something. And, and yes, there's coaching changes. Um, you know, the other thing that's happened at the Division One level um, that will, I'm convinced, be passed in January is they're going. I think they're going to pass this one-time transfer waiver rule. Uh, which would allow a student athlete um, to transfer hmm. uh, without having to sit out one time in their career. And, um, you know, that's going to be a major shift in college athletics at the high level because, um, you know, coaching changes 99% of the time it's playing time related um, and everyone looking for the grass is greener. Uh, but, you know, that. You're gonna see you're gonna see coaches recruit other players off, you know the uh, off the other team. Uh, we may not see handshake lines anymore, but that could happen, you know, at the end of a game. Hey, I really like the way you scored forty on us. You want to come play with us next year? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but that that could happen, yeah. uh, uh, you know, in, in this new world. And I think that'll pass in January um, because this is all part of the movement of giving you know, uh, student athletes more, more rights. Hmm. 
Well, more competition is generally better, but it could be very destabilizing, I guess. Yeah. So, all right. So, if you're just joining us, we're taking questions from for Mr. Andy Katz, insider of the NCAA, as well as Continental Cablevision, Newton, Massachusetts. <laughs> I didn't get any credit for for the Gary Semantelli comment. I, I was really hoping for a lot more. I was um, very proud of that one. Okay, so. Well, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't even react react to me that uh, Joe Killaway still claims me as uh, one of the greatest players there. Yeah, well, I I remember when you went back and you spoke to um, Newton South, your alma mater, alma mater also to John Krasinski and BJ yeah. Noah. I, I actually have a picture with Krasinski. He once came into ESPN. Now we're obviously, I think, what twelve years apart and graduating, but uh, at the same time, uh, yeah, I, I definitely. Uh, claimed him as much as, you know, <laughs> um, all right. So we're taking questions. If you have any types of, uh, athletic NCAA recruiting questions, Wendy Schindler, up to, do you know what's going on with NCAA hockey D one and D three? Uh, I do not know yet what they're doing with hockey. Um, uh, it's a good question, Wendy, because it has not been discussed, and it's something we probably should because people forget that hockey actually starts in October. It is a two-semester sport. Um, you know, a lot of times we think just about uh, basketball being a two-semester sport, but hockey is as well. Uh, I would really anticipate that we're going to see a shortened hockey season um, because for the most part, most programs, it is not a moneymaker. Um, a lot of Canadians – and right now, you can't travel back and forth to Canada. Uh, so I would be shocked if it's not pushed to the second semester and become a one-semester sport uh, for this coming year. Hmm. Okay. Um, oh, Andrea Fusco. All right. Belichick daughter coaches at Holy Cross, alma mater of Dr. Anthony Fauci, scrappy point guard. And Bob Hmm? And Bob Cousy. And Andy Katz from the uh, summer basketball camp. <laughs> you know what summer was? You know why I know what summer was? No. Summer of 84. Okay. The Olympics, because my mother loved the uh, the marathon race. Remember when we were driving there? I thought it was because you still had the postcard, the fake postcard that I wrote you. Oh, it had to be summer of 84 because it was Olympics. <laughs> okay. All right, so... I did write a fake postcard, even though I went to the same camp, but yes. that's a whole other story. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the Coos, Fauci, two, two uh, legendary point guards. Yes. <laughs> uh, another, all right, good. Another two people on the ball with Bel Belichick. Um, Bobby's asking regarding transfer. I thought you, you sat no. with someone with your conference. That changed? That has changed. Okay. Um, plenty of transfers now transfer within their leagues. Uh, that's another sort of <clears throat> student-athlete rights issue that um, players have won now, saying basically, you know, how can you prevent me from, you know, playing at School X when you could easily just go there as a head coach? You know, I mean, you could go from one school to the other within a league, and yet I can't. So that is no more. You can transfer within a league. Um, and, you know, right now, the NCAA, I think they need to get out of the, this – waiver business. Uh, they don't need to be judging whether or not your grandmother is sick. Uh, and, you know, cause that's been the whole thing of, 
you know, uh, you know, I, I need to transfer back home because she's ill, so I need to play right away. Um, the other thing I'm going to tell you right now, and it's unfortunate, um, I'm not going to say it's going to get abused, but it might. But uh, uh, there's no question that if someone raises COVID as a reason to leave, I can't see there's any way where they will be denied that waiver. You know, if they say that for whatever reason. Um, well, what would, what would a reason be? That I need to be closer to my parents so I can infect them? Uh, well, <laughs> no, I mean, like, uh, so I played at the University of Florida. Florida's a hot spot. Um, I want out of here. You know, there's okay. too much COVID down here. So, um, you know, I, I just think that that'll be, that'll be used and it'll be granted. Got it. All right, last call for questions. We're here with Andy Katz, NCAA insider, reporter. Got a question from Robert Lefkowitz. Will the upheaval for 2021 recruits create opportunities for 2022 athletes looking to be recruited? That's an interesting question. Yes. Um, you know, because I think the, the 22 uh, will maybe almost be overly recruited because participation is that obviously these restrictions will be lifted at some point. Uh, and the class of 22, I think, is going to have so many more opportunities because so many coaches are going to want in all sports are going to be desperate to get out there. Um, but as I said early, and I don't know if Robert was listening, I really believe the zoom visit aspect, uh, is here to stay. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying there, that there won't be home visits, uh, or on campus visits, but, um, you know, the zoom aspect I think is here to stay. You know, that's the other thing too, by the way, Andy, um, you know, I've had friends, um, who have had to do these virtual campus tours. And I think that's, what's going to happen in the fall too, for recruiting. Um, because I don't see, you know, I, I they're going to want to create this bubble for anyone that's back on campus, you know, and they're not going to want recruits coming in and their families, you know, to these various campuses. So I think the virtual aspect of showing your campus. I think that is at least here to stay in the short term as well. Um, regarding the uh, the athletes getting recruited, so so we have a client who's a softball recruit, um, D1 level, who was being recruited and then everything shut down. And so what she did was she took to Twitter and she started reaching out and it almost like she was doing the recruiting herself, not being recruited. And she was able to develop a, a decent following. And now she's starting to get offers from schools that have just watched her, um, you know, not just her game phone, but she's been um, videoing herself working out and doing things to like stay in shape and drills and, and things like that. So this is a good time if you have a younger, you know, 2021, 2022 or beyond to start developing outreach uh, and, and think of it again as like as if you were doing the recruiting, not being recruited. Yeah. I think coaches have time now to, you know, they're not doing as much travel or they have more time to do to review this stuff. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, you know, not to sound old, but I mean that that medium now is going to just absolutely, you know, boom for that generation. Uh, I think social media is going to be a huge avenue for these athletes to promote themselves, their brand. Um, and especially I think the NIL, which is name, image, and likeness is going to change where you're going to be able to, to make a little side cash, you know, through your brand. Uh, and, uh, and also in the short term, um, different parts of the country that have allowed some athletics to happen 
you know, if, if you're anyone that's out there, take advantage of that. So um, if you're allowed to play summer baseball or summer softball or even summer basketball inside, which is rare around the country right now, you know, I would film it, I would package it, and I would put it out. And uh, because that's not the case in a lot of parts of the country. You know, in California right now, they just announced uh, that their high school football season is going to move to the spring. And the uh, college football signing day is in February. So that's going to change and be altered. You know, and obviously California has got a massive recruiting pool in all sports. But think about that. That might open up or open up other opportunities for other football players if football is played in other parts of the country um, where you might be able to help push yourself because it's not being played in one of the richest talent places in the country in the fall. Interesting. All right. I've got so much more to ask you here, but we're at, we're coming up to the top of the hour. Um, you know, I, I'll answer this last question here from, from Danelle. Danelle. Well, I, I wanted to ask you about the charcoal pills and no, but just one quick thing. The neck burn. Because the National Association of Basketball Coaches have really pushed this. We're seeing this in a lot of schools. Yeah. This is a very interesting thing going forward. But the NABC has pushed to eliminate in the short term, certainly for the next year, any SAT, ACT requirements for NCAA admission. Um, and, you know, obviously schools are moving away from that, making it optional at times. But I'll be really interested to see how that moves forward and whether or not that equation gets pulled out um, for all these schools in recruiting. Um, so, so so there's eligibility, minimum scores for eligibility requirements, right, as, as part of the NCAA Clearinghouse. And, yeah, so and GPA, GPA. the testing. Yeah. We'll throw out the testing. Interesting. All right, we got one more question. I'm gonna I'm gonna allow this for uh, for Ronnie Berg. She's a good client. For an athlete, is transferring looked upon negatively, and does a student need to go through the same steps they previously did, reaching out to coaches, building rapport, etc.? Well, transferring is not negative because it's very commonplace. Yeah, the the uh, the uh, the attitude on transferring has changed dramatically, Ronnie. Ronnie, Ronnie. Um, uh, I don't think it's looked at as much um now obviously situations are different if you leave abruptly i, I came out pretty strongly about a, uh, a young player from wisconsin earlier this season who i thought left too early in the year um you know i'm a big believer in at least finishing the semester um before leaving a team but there are circumstances and uh you know out of your control and you area yeah, so, in Ronnie's case, just just to give you the backstory, I mean, her her uh, son's a swimmer, recruited by Dartmouth, and they just canceled the program. So you have a good reason for, you know. Yeah, no, that's not going to be looked at negatively at all. Yeah, yeah, good. All right, so um, great. Uh, Bobby says thank you. All right, everyone, I want to thank you for joining us. Katsy, I want to thank you. Thank it's you. Your, your hour out of your day. Anytime. Uh, if things change, you can call me for any updates. Hopefully we will have more positive news uh, in the coming months. Yeah. I'm, it's going to be weird not being able to watch football, college football on TV. I mean, I know that's, that's beside the point, but that, that's like a big part. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So we'll see what happens with the SEC and everyone else. All right. So thanks for watching College Talk Tuesday, and we'll be back next week at 10 o'clock, and talk to you soon.